Well, it's always a privilege to come and share with you uh, the word of the Lord. And uh, my message might be a little bit different uh, this morning because I want to talk to you about a story that's found in John's Gospel in the ninth chapter. And for those of you that are familiar with that, you'll know it's the healing of the blind man's eyes, the, the miracle when Jesus spits into the ground and anoints his eyes and he receives his sight. But I want to approach that chapter slightly differently today. And uh, how many of you will agree that we are living in difficult times, okay? And sometimes it's hard to stay human in these difficult times, okay? Uh, and especially as a Christian. And so I want to I title this message, Releasing Shame and Staying Human in Hard Times. So the theme of my message, as I said, comes from John's Gospel, the ninth chapter. And uh, we see how Jesus spits into the ground, makes saliva, and anoints the guy's eyes and receives his sight. But that story is more than just the healing of his eyes. So often when we read the Bible, uh, we sometimes come with preconditioned ideas and we want to just remember certain aspects. Uh, and so we, we love the miracles. Yes, we do. But oftentimes in those stories, there's something more, something behind uh, in that entire story. And I would encourage you to really, if you have the time, to go and read the whole of John chapter 9. It's only 41 verses. And, and I know that that's easy for you because you guys eat it up before breakfast, you know, 41 verses uh, in the Bible. Okay. Uh, how many of you know that in the Christian calendar, um, we are still in the Easter season, actually? And, and prior to Easter, we have a season which we call Lent, all right? And, and sometimes uh, us uh, charismatics, Pentecostals, whatever we want to call ourselves, uh, we, we, we don't kind of think about Lent. But, but Lent is a time when we prepare ourselves for Easter and uh, we, 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 we have a, a time of reflection and we look at our lives and we align our lives uh, in that 40 days leading up to Easter uh, where hopefully we identify with the sufferings of the Lord Jesus Christ and we uh, often then give up certain things. But we always think about giving up, uh, like, I'm going to give up chocolate, I'm going to give up smoking, or whatever. But, but, but what about spiritual things? What about giving up spiritual things? And, and I trust that as we reflect this morning, we're going to look at that. Because you see, uh, Lent is a time when we look inward, but we also need to look outward. It's the same side of the coin. We need to look inward, and then as we reflect on our lives, uh, you know, because life is an inward and an outward journey. And whatever changes take place on the inside need to be lived out on the outside. There needs to be a manifestation of that change that is taking place on the inside. So before we get into the message, I want to ask you a question. I want you to reflect on this question this morning. Can you think of a time uh, in your life when you allowed shame to control and dominate your actions? And then how did you respond to life in general because of that shame uh, that dominated you? Think about that just for a moment. 
And if you tell me that you've never been subject to shame, I want to see you after this meeting. <laughs> you see, because most people I know have suffered from shame at some point in their life. And even today, there are religious people that still believe that pain is God's punishment for sin or for a lack of faith. And even outside of religion, many of us have to endure the pitying looks of those that, uh, uh, you know, feel that we just haven't looked after our lives. And, uh, you know, uh, we, we shouldn't really parade our brokenness so openly. And, uh, you know, they might be patronizing in offering some advice as to what we should have done or what we should do so we can get our lives back in order. But, you know, shame always lurks in the shadows of suffering and failure or grief. You know, shame is something different. It's unlike regret and remorse. Shame has a very disturbing and destructive power. Shame paralyzes us and uh, offers no way forward. And shame in the hands of those that have power over us, like parents or teachers or religious leaders even sometimes, politicians, uh, even spouses, when they have the power of shame over us, it's used as an effective means of control. Regret and remorse, on the other hand, empower us to recognize the things that we could have done differently so we can make changes for the future. You see, when abusers... They, you, you think about this. They know how to use shame to silence their victims and to keep them compliant. Think about a drug dealer. You, you, you know, maybe today it's not so much an aspect of shame, but in my day, if you were in drugs, you weren't very happy about that. It was a shameful thing to do. Or, 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 or think about... A person that's given to prostitution, the shameful lifestyle, and then that abuser knows how to control that person and keep that person compliant so they can continue to control that person and utilize the shame to, that they empowered with to control and use those people and abuse those people. Sadly, Many of us even try to use shame to control ourselves. And we force ourselves to make changes that we want, but we struggle to achieve those things. We just, that shame just seems to be like a leech, like a parasite. We just can't get rid of it. We, we just don't, are not able to break free and bring those changes. And see, the truth about shame is that it'll never change us. Uh, it can't heal us, it can't restore us, or move us into a fuller, richer, more meaningful life. On the other hand, it's more likely to lead us into an irrational self-protection. 
And then we become defensive and we become aggressive. And even sometimes we become violent. And then we justify that behavior because in our shame, if somebody mentions something, we feel we're being attacked. And then we become aggressive in that situation. You see, shame is one of the few things that is capable of robbing us of our essential humanity. As human beings, God has given us, he's created us in his image, and he's given us a wonderful life to live. And uh, his shame even blinds us to the essential humanity of other people, the people around us. Uh, and so we need to come to grips with shame. And we need to tackle it head on if we're going to remain compassionately human to the needs of people around us. So what am I saying? I'm saying that we need to release our shame so that we can be real and authentic. See, even as Christians, sometimes we go around pretending to be what we're not really. And I think the world is not looking for actors who are acting out Christianity. I think the world is looking for people that are real and authentic. And that's what you get in this church because you love just as you are. And hopefully through the ministry and through the counseling and through the involvement of community life, we are all changing and growing in this journey. And so we need to refuse to use shame to manipulate and disarm others. Only then can we really nurture the humanity in those people that are around us. So let's pick up this story. Let's go to John chapter 9, and we're going to read the first 11 verses. Now Jesus passed by, and he saw a man who was blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned? This man or his parents, that he was born blind. And then Jesus answered, he said, neither this man nor his parents sin. And I want you to underline this, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. He says, I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no one can work. As long as I'm in the world, I'm the light of the world. When he had said these things, he spat on the ground, made clay with the saliva, anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay, and he said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam. Siloam translated, which means sent. So he went, and he washed, and he came back seeing. Therefore the neighbors and those who previously had seen that he was blind said, is not this he who sat and begged? Some said, this is he. Others said, oh, he's like him. And he said, I am he. And so therefore they said to him, how were your eyes opened? And he answered and he said, a man called Jesus made clay, anointed my eyes and said to me, go to the pool of Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and I received my sight. And so here in John's gospel, we read the story of a man who was born blind. And years after his birth, he has a, we find him as an adult, and he is now a beggar. You know, and the people were still debating 
Even after all this time, they were still debating whether it was his sin or that of his parents that had caused his suffering. And so in John 9, verse 3, we pick it up again. Jesus answered, he said, neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. And so Jesus corrects the disciples' uh, belief here that every serious affliction is as a result of sin. You know, at times, uh, serious sickness can come as a result of sin, but not always. You see, sometimes suffering is permitted because of a divine purpose. And you know, often as Christians, we just want to put God into a little box, and God's got to do things the way we want God to do it, and we lack understanding. And I hope that today the Spirit of the Lord will take my words and the meditation of our hearts and bring insight and revelation and understanding that sometimes when we find ourselves in a place of suffering, we understand that we are going through this thing so that the power of God and the works of God may be manifest. Then we can submit ourselves to the working of God and trust God for that miracle and not try and manipulate God for the outcome that we want, rather that we will wait for God's outcome the way he will do it in his way and in his time. You see, and what are those works? It's to display God's love, God's mercy, and God's power. And that's what we see in this story, in this particular case. But I want you to understand that this is not an unusual question. Because in the culture of that day, disability, sickness, and suffering was seen as divine punishment for some wrongdoing. Adversity was not just painful, it was also shameful, as we'll see in the story in this man's case. The shame of his disability, being blind, had torn this family apart. And remember when he was put, this man was put on trial for claiming that Jesus had healed him, the blind man's parents were called in as witnesses. Uh, if you read the story, you'll find that the Pharisees first questioned him, and then when the Pharisees had kind of been finished with him, then the Jewish religious leaders called him in, and twice they called, and then they called the parents, and when the parents came in, we see here that in the situation, uh, that, that disability had torn this family apart, because when they came there, uh, after he had claimed that Jesus had healed him, the blind man's parents were called to witness and so we pick up the story in John 9, verse 20 and 21. So we see uh, his parents answered and said, we know this is our son, and that he was born blind. That we know. But by what means he now sees, we do not know. Or who opened his eyes, we do not know. He's of age. Ask him. He can speak for himself. Sure. Now if you think carefully if you think carefully, I'm sure there are questions that come to mind with this scenario that describe the destructive power of shame in this family. In my preparation, in my meditation and reflection on this chapter, there are a couple of questions that came to my mind. And the first one is this. Why was he a beggar if he still had parents that could come to court to witness? Why was he still a beggar? 
Why had they abandoned him to the streets instead of caring for him and providing for him as parents should do? And then secondly, uh, why did they refuse to defend him? As I look at the story, why did they refuse to defend him? See, when the religious leaders asked about him, they simply said, we don't know who opened his eyes. He's of age. Ask him. He can speak for himself. Why didn't they stand with him? It seems to me that they tried to stay as far out of his business as possible. Let's pick up the story again in John 9, 22. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had already said, if anyone confessed that he was the Christ or the Messiah, that word Christ means Messiah, he would be put out of the synagogue. That's amazing what fear does, eh? They were afraid. Rather than stand with their son, they would rather side for fear of being chucked out of church. Wow. Amazing what fear does to you. Is it possible that the ongoing debate about what sin had caused his blindness, because remember they said his sin or his parents' sin, about what sin had caused his blindness that uh, had left his parents with such shame? Because they were also labelled with it, right? Is it perhaps the parents' sin that caused him to be blind? And so they distanced themselves. They chose to distance themselves from their own son rather than be rejected by neighbours. Is it possible then that their shame was so deep that even his healing was not enough to reconcile his family? No questions come to mind. I don't know how you read the Bible. Do you just read it? As a story, or do you question what's the meaning, what's the intent, what's behind? See, it's amazing what we are willing to do for the sake of appearances. The power of shame in the story doesn't end here. Notice how the Pharisees and the Jews had categorized this man. They put him in a box. You're the blind man. Isn't this the blind man? You were blind. How come you see? Who opened your eyes? And then if you look at the, 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 the interaction of the conversation, this man tells them who opened their eye, his eyes. Then they still question him and then they want to make out that Jesus is a sinner because no sinner can heal anybody's eyes. They still didn't recognize what was going on in that situation. And so they put him in a box. And then they shamed him for being blind. They weren't rejoicing because a miracle had taken place, something had happened in that whole situation, that scenario, bringing healing not only to him but to the entire family if they chose to be reconciled. But no, they chose to put him in a box and shamed him. Why? For stepping out of that box. They boxed him in. They decided he was a blind man. Never mind if he can see, he's a blind man. And when he's saying, I'm not blind, I can see, they still tried to shame him. But, 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 you know, is this the guy that sat? Is this the beggar? Oh, oh he, he is? No, he's like him. Okay? And so they boxed him in, kept on putting that shame on him for stepping out of that role of a sinful victim. Which, to which he had been assigned for however many years. 
And don't we do the same? Don't we put people in boxes? Oh, he's a drunkard. Oh, you know, she's a gossiper. He, he's a womanizer. Be careful of him. Oh, she's a prostitute. Oh, that child has got Down syndrome. Oh, they're autistic. You know, we, we keep labeling and putting boxes, and sadly, with those labels comes rejection. And then we distance ourselves. That's what these people were doing with this blind man. You know, sometimes we think we're so holy, so, so wonderful, and we put on the act, you know. We say all the right things, but we are saying it, but we're actually rejecting that person because of the box, the label. And, and, and even though we can't, it's from a distance. That's what we see here. So instead of rejoicing about the miracle, they made out that his healing was shameful. And that his claim about Jesus just proved the fact that his blindness was God's punishment for his sin. Now, it might have been a relief to his parents, the attention and blame being removed from them, but no one seemed to notice the insanely circular logic of those Pharisees that they needed to employ to justify this standpoint. And so often we do the same thing. Our logic is irrational when we're trying to justify our point of view because we put that person in a box and that box can't change. It cannot change. Never mind what happened. It can't change. And we actually hold those people in their shame instead of helping them to be released from that shame so they can become everything that God intended them to be. There's power in our words. The power of life and the power of death. How would you like to be put in a box and be kept in that box for all your life when Jesus comes to set you free from that box so that you can be and experience the fullness of life, the abundance of life that he brings. Even in our country, we have leaders and the logic's just insane as they keep on selling the story to justify their point of view. How sad that there will always be those people who try and shame those who suffer. And they do it only to make themselves feel better about themselves. And so if we accept the shame, their shame, we burden ourselves with another unnecessary level of pain. But you know what? We can choose this morning to be free of shame, both for ourselves, for our loved ones, and for our neighbors. And after all, as Christians, aren't we too supposed to go into the community and make a change because of our encounter with Jesus? <laughs> this man went off to the pool of Silo. I, I, if it was me, I would, have been, I would have come running. I can see, I can see, I can see. I was blind, but now I can see. to the very people that saw him as a blind man all his life. Aren't we supposed to be doing that? To bring change 
into our community. So how do we break free from shame? Well, firstly, by refusing to believe and perpetuating the lie that God uses suffering as punishment. I want you to look at the cross. Just look at the cross this morning. Jesus died between two criminals. When he died, that cross speaks of suffering and shame. If you really understand it, and Jesus' naked body was hanging on that cross, battered and bruised, we see little pictures of a little, a little towel covering, you know, specific parts, but he was battered and bruised and hung there naked. They gambled for his clothes. He carried your sin, my sin, the sins of the world, the shame that we have to endure for whatever box you find yourself in this morning, for whatever shame is holding you. Jesus died on that cross for you. And for me, we don't have to be boxed in. We don't have to be labeled. I mean, that cross speaks to us of suffering and shame. And so if you look at that cross, you'll see that God is always present. And he actually is in solidarity with those who suffer. You see, pain is not a judgment on sin. And blessing is not a reward for goodness. God blesses us irrespective because of his goodness. Adversity is a reality for every human. And there's no reason to feel shame when we struggle. If you're here this morning, I want to encourage you, don't keep pretending everything's okay when it's not. How are you today? Oh, hallelujah, I'm blessed, I'm blessed, I'm blessed. Hallelujah. <laughs> Covered by the blood, hallelujah. But meantime, inside, you're carrying a label. You've been boxed in. You're struggling with those emotions. You're struggling with that identity. And I want to encourage you. Jesus comes this morning to touch your life and to set you free, to break you out of that box so that that shame can be dealt with once and for all. So how do we break free? We refuse to believe and perpetuate the lie that God is using suffering as punishment, okay? And shaming ourselves will, or others will not keep us from suffering in the future. So let's stand up. And let's stand against anything or anyone who claims that tough times are a result of God's wrath or because of sin and it's being poured out on us or even as a society because of sin. We know we're living in a broken world. We know we're broken people. We know that because of sin, this is what's happening in the world. Not because God deemed it so, but because we have separated ourselves from God and we do stuff towards one another that is not what God intended in the beginning. So let's get back and deal with those issues so we can become the people that God wants us to be. Secondly, we need to activate and intentionally claim our dignity and humanity, even in the midst of our pain, if we are to release shame. Otherwise, you'll never, you'll always be in bondage to that shame. See, so when we face suffering with acceptance and courage, 
it means we must reject the temptation to blame ourselves or others. And in so doing, we preserve our humanity and we're able to respond to our adversity with dignity. I don't care if you're a tramp laying in the street. I don't care if you're an alcoholic this morning. I don't care if you're a prostitute or whatever you are in this place this morning. I want to tell you God wants to pick you up and restore your dignity so that you can walk with your head held high. You see, doing this enables us to recognize and celebrate and support the humanity and the dignity of others when they suffer. And there's no greater way to be liberated from the curse of shame because the curse of shame just adds to our suffering. So I want to challenge you this morning. No more labeling. No more judgment. No more blaming. Realize that you are who you are if you've surrendered your life to Jesus, that you are free. There's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Stand fast, therefore, with the liberty wherewith Christ has made you free. And realize that you're a person of worth no matter what other people say. Blind, you're the blind man. I once was blind, but now I see. Hallelujah. Praise be to God. Now, obviously, we'll never live without tears or setbacks and wounds. But we don't have to add shame to the list of the struggles that we face. Realize that shame will never empower you. It'll only rob you of your humanity, your compassion, and your courage. In the end of that story, Jesus addresses the Pharisees and he makes a remark and they say, are you saying that we are blind? And he addresses spiritual blindness, okay? Because they wouldn't recognize the works of God. They wouldn't acknowledge that Jesus was the Messiah. They kept on saying that no sinner can heal. And even the blind man, when he was asked, he said, what's the matter with you guys? Don't you understand? Nobody from the beginning of the world has ever opened eyes. But this man has. Okay? So never be ashamed of your testimony. Never Keep quiet because people want to box you in. Realize this morning that Jesus has come, as I said before, to set you free, to break the box, to break the boundaries. But I want to address this point because I trust that you're not sitting in this meeting this morning and are not able to recognize because your eyes are just on the miracle and not on the greater story behind the miracle. Jesus proved that he was the Messiah through the performing of this miracle, but he also dealt with the shame and the brokenness in this life and in this family. As you sit in this meeting this morning, I trust that you've had an inner journey and you're thinking about that incident that I asked you to remember when shame had you bound. You don't have to come to the front. Nobody needs to lay a hand on you. Jesus is here. He's right there where you are. He's everywhere present in this room right now. And you know what? Jesus went by and he 
saw the blind man. And as a response to the disciples' question, he healed. He's right here moving in the aisles now by the power of the Holy Spirit. And in response, in response, in response to your question, why am I sitting in this situation? Why am I subjected to this kind of life? He's there. Right there. Right there, right there, right there. If you'll just let him touch you, he will touch you and your miracle will be your experience as you walk out of this building today. Because God is the God who heals. He's the God who restores. He's the God who opens our eyes and understanding to what it really means to be in relationship with this great, glorious, wonderful God that's called us to serve him by faith through Christ Jesus. So I want to pray for you right now. If you will, just close your eyes. Take a moment. Reflect on the message. And in your heart, cry out. Cry out. Cry out to Jesus. Lord, do not pass me by this morning. I'm tired of being labeled. I'm tired of being boxed in. I'm tired of the shame that I've been trying to hide. Touch me. Talk to me. Tell me what I must do so that like the blind man that you touched so long ago, who received an answer to his predicament, touch me and tell me what to do that my miracle can be mine as I walk out of this building today. And I thank you for that. I believe it. I receive it. In Jesus' name, amen.